You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So I'm heading east, getting ready for my son's wedding, Monday night. If you're in the neighborhood in Lakewood, I don't remember the address, but I'm sure if you call me, just show up. I love how they do it there. I had to convince my wife to sit down for a few minutes just to figure out how many people are coming. So it's, we're on the East Coast, really just family is coming. So you basically go through the family. We think this one's coming. We think that one's coming. No seating cards. No seating cards. That's crazy. Seating cards, I have to figure out who's coming, who's not coming, and then I call. Waste hours of time. What we do is we'll have five men's tables, five ladies' tables, and it'll just say Jacobson on it. Oh, Jacobson, Gabriel, something, family, and you'll find a seat and you'll be happy. And if you don't like that seat, then move to another table. But it, it's actually a, a, a beautiful idea. And as this, these weddings have three, 400 people. It costs money, right? If, I, if I'm putting you in a seat, so I have to pay for your seat. I'm happy to pay. But we all know that some people come early and they have to leave. Some people come late. So if you put down seating cards, you're paying for all 10 people on the table. But you know three of them are not showing up. So instead, just have a basic idea, make a bunch of tables. At worst, we'll pull over another chair for you. And, and you don't have to waste money and time when uh, it's not necessary. So I, went, I was at a wedding last night, and I begged and pleaded. I said, don't make seating cards. He didn't listen to me. But the truth is, I think there were about 12 people on our table. Some came early, some left. It was perfect. So he did put probably 13 people on the table, and, uh, but he probably paid for 10, which is beautiful. It's exactly what I wanted him to do. But it happens to work out really good. I actually have a nephew's wedding also um, next week. Uh, my son is Monday. My nephew is Wednesday. So first of all, I, I, I can't stay so many days. I mean, I do work for a living, right? So I'm already taking off the weekend and Monday and driving back Tuesday. Can't stay for a week. Just can't do it. And my wife first wanted to stay, but we came up with a better idea because there's, there's a problem because my wife, um, her mother passed away um, right before Rosh Hashanah, so really, really, she can't go to the wedding. She can go to her own child's wedding. To Even a mourner can go to their own child's wedding, dance up a storm, music, all the issues that a mourner has over their parents. that They can't listen to music and don't go to weddings, don't go to parties. But for a child, for your own child, the, you know, all those rules are off the table. You can do pretty much whatever you want. Um, so, but for her nephew... You want to go, you eat outside, you're sort of there, you're barely there. Like, what's the point? But Shabbos is amazing. One of the rules on Shabbos is that many of the rules fall off. 
you can go to a party. There's no music on, on Shabbos anyways. But you go to the party, hang out with family, be by the celebration. So we talked about a, an Ofrof in the last show. So if you want to know about it, go listen to the last show. But we have her nephews, or my nephew's Ofrof is, uh, is Shabbos. So th- we won't go to the wedding. Instead, we'll hang out with them the whole Shabbos with the kids. So we're part of the family Simcha. So we enjoy each other's company. And I, I think, and they actually suggested it, that they get much more out of, well, my wife, what of me. Right? But they get much more out of it because they get to spend so much time together with everybody enjoying the Simcha. So... Shabbos, you get me a whole, the whole 24 hours, 25 hours. We enjoy each other's company. We can sit. We can schmooze. By a wedding, oh, it's very beautiful. And we're there. And you like when we're there. You're going to dance with me for 30 seconds? I'll, I'll, I'll be in the room. I'll be schmoozing on a table. But you got your own stuff to take care of. So that's really going to be, we're looking very, very beautiful. And when I come back um, after the wedding... Um, I'm sure I'll have lots to report and talk about um, how beautiful it was, because I'm sure it will be fine. Um, will there be glitches? Of course there's glitches. We live for glitches. Things always go wrong. The question is, what do you do when something goes wrong? When something goes wrong, you don't worry about it, and somebody fixes it, and that's it. So, um, But let's talk about this week's story portion. So... Isaac is married to Rebecca. That happened in last week's Torah portion. So they've been married for 20 years, no children. So now Isaac is beginning to pray. Isaac and Rebecca will both pray, and the Torah says that God listens to Isaac's prayer. And they have the twins. They have Jacob, Yaakov, and Esau, these two opposite extremes. The Yaakov, the spiritual, the righteous, Esau, the physical, the gangster, I guess is probably a pretty good word to start with. But I want to back up, because I, I brought myself a whole story over here, So, um, and it's a really beautiful explanation to something that we see in the Torah portion. So in last week's Torah portion, when Rebecca is going back to Isaac with Eliezer, with the servant, so when she's taking leave of her family, so her brother and her mother, her father's not alive, her brother Lavan, who will be Jacob's father-in-law, so her brother Lavan and her mother, Rebecca's mother, give Rebecca a beautiful blessing, such a beautiful blessing that we actually use it on our own daughters when they get married, that you should be for a thousand, ten thousand, right? Now you should have a million descendants, and you should inherit your your enemies by the gates. In other words, you should be powerful, and your and your and your children and healthy and family. It's a very beautiful blessing. What's interesting is that blessing didn't seem to help <laughs> because Rebecca doesn't have kids for twenty years. Isaac has to go ahead and pray, and Isaac is famous for being the the, of the, the forefather who he represents prayer. So he will pray, and then they will merit having their two children, Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and Esau. So very good. But why wasn't, why wasn't Lavan's prayer answered? And it must be a beautiful prayer, because we use it today. 
at our daughter's weddings, we don't say it to sons for some reason, but to our daughters, this is one of the blessings we give. So it must be a good blessing. But it didn't work. So what gives? So I saw a very interesting parable to explain what gives. The parable goes like this. So there's a man who is a silversmith. Super talented. He, I mean, his, his work was exquisite. It was, it was just beautiful. The problem was he lived in a village. So people from the surrounding cities would come and buy silver, but he was never going to become famous or wealthy because his silver was fit to go on a king's table. But you live in the village. You want to get yourself closer to the king, you got to move to the wealthier neighborhoods. you got to get wealthier people to start buying your, your, your silverware. And then they'll talk, and the more they talk, and then the king will hear about you. Great plan. So he decided he's going to move to the city. The problem was he didn't realize when he moved to the city, he couldn't afford to get a shop in a, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, high-class neighborhood where the people who could afford his wares would shop, right? It's like a, a catch-22. The only way he's going to make money is to go to the good neighborhood. The problem is he can't afford it. Instead, the only thing he can afford is some hovel in some little back alleyway, not in a good neighborhood, where no one there can afford his stuff. No one's coming in. And it's pretty frustrating because he has this beautiful stuff that he's creating and no one's coming. Well, one day, Sammy walks in. So I could give you all kinds of descriptions. Just imagine a real, a real shyster, a real slick talker. His name is Sammy, and Sammy comes in and says, oh, I see you got nice stuff here. How's business? Probably not good. You're in the wrong neighborhood. I have connections. I'll take care of you. Oh, it's going to cost you. Hey, if I take care of you, if I uh, get yourself sold, you're going to have to pay me a percentage. A large percentage, but at least, at least you'll have business. At least you'll have business. So first, our friend the silversmith uh, wasn't so sure, but he's not getting any business. So Sammy says, I tell you what, you meet me by the king's uh, gate tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. Bring a bag, maybe a hundred nice pieces, and we'll see what we can do for you. Okay, Sammy is a little naive. He shows up at the king's gate, and he's waiting around, and, you know, kings don't like people hanging out by their gates. So two of the guards come over and say, Excuse me, sir. Uh, what are you doing here? And the silver says, Oh, well, Sammy said that if I come here with some silver, uh, I'll get into the queen. I'll sell a lot of stuff. Sammy said that if you show up here with your silver, that uh, you'll get into the queen? What are you, a fool? You had to be out of your mind. You don't just walk up to the queen's gate, to the king's gate, and, and get to sell your merchandise. That's not what happens over here. And they beat him up, and they send him on his way. So you can imagine our silversmith friend is feeling dejected, rejected. Two weeks go by. Things go from bad to worse. He has no food. He has no money. No one's walking into his store. And again... A guy comes in, and uh, this is dressed 
He's dressed like an important person. He looks like an important person. But the problem is that the silversmith, he's been going through such a rough time, he doesn't even know how to talk pleasant right now. Yeah, what do you want? And, uh, which is not how you treat a customer, but, you know, he's having a hard time. But this fellow, this, uh, um, this uh, important-looking fellow, Looks at him, takes a $100 bill out of his pocket. We'll just use $100 because the word works better. Hands it to him and says, I see you're having a rough day. And I, and I can see why. You're obviously a very talented person. You make beautiful silverware. But in this neighborhood, you're not going to sell anything. Tell you what. I want to help you out because I see your stuff is beautiful, but you need help. Why don't you come with me? Not like the last guy said. You come with me, I'm going to bring you to the king, and I'll show him your stuff, and you'll be good to go. Okay? <laughs> you put money in my pocket, now I trust you. He goes along, the king gives him an audience, buys a lot of stuff, and uh, our friend the silversmith goes back to his little hovel, but he's not going to stay there long, because now he sold stuff, now he has a, a client, right? You can't get better than having the king as a client, and and now things are good, but guess what? Sammy gets hold. He hears that our silversmith friend sold stuff to the king. So Sammy shows up and says, "Ah, I heard you got a good deal with the king. You know that's all my doing. It's because of me. It's my contacts. That guy who came in, he's one of my buddies. So I'm ready to collect my percentage. But now the silversmith." has figured out who's his friend and who's not. He chased him out of the store. And I hope in the story he lived happily ever after. But what's the lesson? So the lesson is Rebecca Rivka is the simple silversmith. She gets a blessing from her brother. A blessing from Lavan. That kind of blessing is not coming from a good place. And if that blessing were to come true, then her whole life and, and all her descendants would be based on the blessing of a wicked person. God's not letting that happen. God's going to make her wait 20 years to make it very clear that Lavan, her, Rivka's brother, her, his blessing has zero value. Zero value. Once we see it as zero value, now Isaac comes along. He's like the second man in the story. He's the real beneficiary. He's the one that really takes care of his wife. That's a blessing coming from a righteous person. That's where the Jewish people are going to be built from. So that's why this is really a very beautiful, apropos story, especially I'm going to weddings. And uh, now that I've said over this story three or four times, I'm actually getting good at this story. And uh, will I use it over the weekend? Not as an official speech. I'll probably just ask somebody the question, see if they can come up with the answer. Um, we, we use Lovin's blessing, right? But, but it's funny. It's coming from Lovin. It didn't even work. Why do we use it? But I think I've answered that question as well. We as parents, I as a father, can bless my daughter with this blessing, and my other daughters have also blessed with his blessing, because it's coming from a good place. It's coming from me, the father. 
So yeah, let this blessing uh, take hold. Let it go into the future descendants. Let it go to future generations. Because it's coming from, I would like to believe it, it's coming from a good place. Right? I'm her father. Hopefully I'm a good guy. Right? But in Rebecca's case, it was coming from a bad place. If it's coming from a bad place, so then, then we want to make sure that that blessing has no value, has no basis, doesn't work at all. Anyways, so now Jacob and Esau are, are born. Yaakov and Esau are born. They grow up. Uh, it says you couldn't tell because, you know, even though Esau maybe wasn't the greatest kid, but he's a kid. What do we say about kids? He's a kid. He's a kid. He's a kid. Um, but Abraham dies when they're 15 because it says Abraham wasn't going to see how his grandson Esau became wicked. So what's interesting is that, um, that Yaakov, Jacob, is making a lentil soup. That's the meal. It's a, it's a round object. When somebody dies, people have a custom to eat something round. Some people eat bagels. Bagels are also round. But lentil soup was always the thing that they would eat as a sign that we eat um, round things because the world goes around and or it's round, it has no opening, it has no mouth, and a person mourning has no mouth. But it's interesting, because the Medrash says, this is not the first time they talk about lentil soup. When Hevel, when Abel was killed, so they made lentil soup for um, Adam and Eve, for Adam and Chava. Um, just a minute, oh, when Haran, that's Abraham's brother, when he dies, so again the family, he's thrown into a fire, so again the family is uh, is eating lentil soup. So Jacob makes this lentil soup. And Esau comes from the field, and he's committed a bunch of crimes, and he is starving. And he says, hey, bro, Jacob, I am starving. you got to give me that lentil soup. So the lentil soup became a perfect place for Jacob and Esau to have a real, uh, what do they call it, DMC, a deep, Meaningful conversation. I think that's the abbreviation my kids tell me. And I got to remember all these things for the texting, right? You don't know what all these abbreviations stand for, so you're from a different generation. But I am from a different generation, so I don't have to know what they mean. My kids have to tell me what they mean. But, so Jacob and Isaac had a conversation. Somebody died. We make this lentil soup. The world goes around. People are born. People die. But So now Jacob says, but Asaph, do you believe in the world to come? Do you believe there's a soul? Do you care that there's a soul? And Asaph doesn't care. And Asaph makes fun of it. And this world is what it's all about. It's all the now. Asaph says, I believe in the now. Give me money now. Let me enjoy myself now. I don't care what happens tomorrow. While Jacob is busy saying, it's not just today. It's all about tomorrow. It's nothing is just today, which again leads us to talking about marriage and other things happening over these last uh, few shows, right? When we talk about marriage, we're talking about that it's not just today. Everything is about the future. If it's just the here and now, okay, when the here and now don't work out, so you get rid of this one. It's like returning to Target and you go after the next one. But if it's about the future, if it's not just the here and now, if it's, I'm always looking to see how I can plan, prepare for my future, prepare for the afterlife, so that I'm going to do different stuff, right? So therefore, Jacob convinced in the conversation, you don't need to come in to convince, but Jacob tells Esau it's, that I believe in the future. You believe in the here and now. 
You are the firstborn. You have no use for the firstborn. Let me buy the firstborn from you. That's this week's Torah portion. The music is playing. And of course, I hope you enjoyed it. Short and sweet. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to our production team. We have David and Andy behind the table. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and I'm Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.